baby, we hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to We're Not Listening, the Frasier Recap and Advice Podcast from Molly Shea and me, Nick Francomano. Hello, everyone. Welcome Hi. to the pod. It's been, this is our first back in the It's swing been a things. while since you've heard an episode of this pod that was actually about the ostensible topic of the pod. Yeah. Which is the landmark 1990s sitcom Frasier. Today we're discussing season one, episode 10. The title of the episode is Oops. 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 And you know, for the real uh, We're Not Listening fans, we we have some episodes that are going to be lost in space. Uh, we might re-record them or they might just be a Patreon purchase or something later on. <laughs> I think we're not in order right now. For, well, we're we're to, in order. To the perspective of the listeners, we've skipped ahead a little bit. We skipped ahead by two episodes yeah. because the lost episode, you know, is not up to the standards that our listeners deserve. No, it it's really not, isn't. I was having a crisis. It's not <laughs> a you know a silver medal spectacular. It's not a ninety point wine spectator episode. That's what people really tune into this for. Yeah. I don't want to say gold. It I don't want to say Opus One. Negative but I want to say land for sure. Ninety point wine spectator. That's the level we're shooting for. I don't to know use what a, that means. What, what it means is when you go to buy cheap wine, to get you to buy a cheap bottle of wine, they'll put on the label that it has ninety points in Wine Spectator magazine. Out oh. of and I don't think it's even out of a hundred. I don't 300? know if it's out of hundred. But if it's over ninety, I'll drink it. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm glad you used the uh, sommelier system for Fraser. We should I have been it would doing be sommelier centric. Well, we should be using that system for our rating instead, instead of instead of cafes latte. I mean, I, I need to learn more about the system before I can devote myself to it. Though, what, do you, what is there to learn about the system? The system is ten lattes. No, for the sommelier rating. Oh yes. Well, yeah, gotta, we'll have to do a tasting. Now yeah, that things are opening up, we can do a got, tasting to get into gotta, that Fraser spirit. Spit it out. <laughs> I'm going to cho choke over here if I do that, yeah. Uh, okay, folks. The theme of this episode is all about the destructive effect of rumors spreading in the Gossip. workplace. Gossip. Loose lips. Sinking ships. In this case sinking the career of my favorite character. Wait, are we really going to jump right into it that hard? I, I thought that was a great segue. Why? What did you want to do? I wanted to dance around. I wanted <laughs> to go about it. You know, I mean, you're just like hitting the gossip hard. I'm hitting the episode hard. Okay. This is a recap podcast. Let's recap I thought, I thought we were going to unfold let's the cap, onion. Let's cap the sode. Okay. Let's cap the sode. Okay, let's go. Um, so <laughs> the episode starts with a caller doesn't it? No. The episode starts in the coffee shop. The first title card, Heard It Through the Grapevine, where Fraser and Niles are in the coffee shop. Niles is talking about how oh, his, his wife? wife is in a junior league production of Cats, the musical Cats. And I mean, I know we're going to be, you know reviewing and talking about this episode, but we really do need to go into Cats the musical for a little bit. Well, Niles does get a great line about it that's specific to Cats. And I think, you know, it's included in part because 
that's something that the Fraser boys would have a great deal of disdain for. That they have Andrew a kind Lloyd of Webber. yeah. That they have a maybe well maybe not even Phantom. I think they're not no. really very highbrow they're, guys. They're more. Um, but maybe a little more butch than cats. No, they're more. Uh, what's that? The. Gilbert and Sullivan. They're Gilbert and Sullivan they're not guys. Absolutely. Andrew Lloyd Webber. No. But you Maris know. Maris is in a cat outfit, doing this production. They're describing it. And this is kind of going to be one of the recurring themes of the episode is the mental place where the Fraser brothers are stuck. And this is really the whole series. But the mental place where the Fraser brothers are stuck between social striving and what they perceive as the, the virtue and the dignity of the lower orders of society. So as Niles is describing this cat's thing, it's like a, almost a Cronenberg vision yeah. of this, the horrors of Maris. And he described, I wrote the line down. I wonder because if it's the he, same one that I'm grossed out by. He said it's his the music room in his house. So first off, they have a music room. Underweight, tightly pulled women in leotards crawling around the music room meowing. And then he says that Mrs. Presley Bismuth, great name, oh, by the way, yeah, great name worked to the writer's room. Mrs. Presley Bismuth was scent marking the divan. Ugh. So, like, these <laughs> high class women, these junior league women, in the, you know, because we never see them, we only experience them through Niles' complaints about them. You know, they take on this inhuman character. And it's like really, you know. Yeah, and then he kind of um, continues talking about, I guess, uh, this musical theater group and how they also did a production of Annie, and it was like gross old Annie. Uh. Well, they did a they did a production. <laughs> it, this comes later in the episode, but they say that they did a production of The Sound of Music, and half of the Von Trapp children were in menopause. Oh, okay, that's what it was, yeah, not so Annie. Like, but Annie would be horrifying as well. Well, we see this coming up soon in the form of Niles, you know, seeing Daphne as being like fertile and generous and Maris as being barren and shriveled. So Maris is the, you know, tight, thin cat woman going through menopause, whereas Daphne is this beautiful fecund street urchin <laughs> that he believes is going to be able to resurrect this dead house plant. And you know, uh, I think that if we're going back to my um, uh, gender politics perspective on Niles's... That Maris is Niles's sublimated homosexuality? Yeah, I feel like a production of Cats is right on line with that. Meow. Absolutely. Well, it's... I think Cats... Not to, you know... I think that our homosexual listeners would not necessarily appreciate my, you know, psychiatric interpretation of the phenomenon of cats, but that it's like... My eyebrows are raised. It's much safer oh. if you are a, you know, closeted little British boy of Andrew Lloyd Webber's age, it's kind of safer to experience her sexuality as a cat person yes. than it is in real life. And for some reason now, it's never been more accepted than ever to be gay, but now there's also more cat people than ever. Well, so, I feel you know, like being there, a cat a boy is a of... whole thing. You're on TikTok, you have all the cat boys. Yeah. yeah, well, I also have maid boys. That was a real hot ticket for a bit. A lot of the maid boys are Nazis. 
The Catboys too, actually. I'm so confused. Um, I have. You're on a different part. Yeah, of I'm on a different part, but I definitely feel like there's a lot of gamer guys who want to dress up like sexy maids um, for yeah. their partners. Well, I I don't want to say that it's caused by internet addiction, but it is caused by internet addiction. It caused your internet addiction? Are you addicted no, to maids? No, wanting to dress up as a French maid is caused by being addicted to the internet. I feel like it's such a throwback fetish, though. I feel like it's like a it's an, going back it's to a, the nineties. It's kind an of thing. anime. I know, but so like they also, get it, that's where they get it from. I know it's anime, but I also feel like French Maid was like hot shit when we were babies. E, I certainly didn't become aware of it at that time. What, what? Like, I feel like that was a trope. Um, but no, this is much more anime leaning now. But I want to talk about cats for a second. Lay it on me. Um, big fan of the movie. Watched it on Ushrooms May. It was great. Um, I knew it was going to be terrifying and terrible, and like that's what I enjoyed about it. But I kind of have a theory, welcome to Conspiracy Corner, that um, because people didn't embrace cats the way it truly should have been embraced in 2019, that is why we have the coronavirus. You think that the not showing enough respect for cats caused the coronavirus as like a cosmic punishment yeah, or for some specific reason that not like, enough people wanted to dance at the jellical moon and not enough not enough you know worship happened and therefore we were punished for a year i i can't say <laughs> i follow you i can't say i follow you or that i'm very excited by that dot i'm into a lot of occult stuff but i i don't know if i buy the power of cats well, because andrew lloyd weber is so inauthentic everything that he does is a pastiche everything that he does is like not you know I, i'm a typical millennial i have my authenticity fetish and you know andrew lloyd weber is too far from the source i think that's why the fraser boys don't like him because it's a bastardization of t.s Eliot. it's a bastard well not i mean it's adapted from t.s Eliot. i don't have a problem with things being adapted but it's a bastardization like you're saying of gilbert and sullivan and even gilbert and sullivan are is pretty you know Yikesy. light stuff but I if know. you're going to be into light comedic opera in the english language you know, you've got Gilbert and Sullivan. The whole corpus of Gilbert and Sullivan. Well, I just... That being said, I do like Phantom. I mean... I stand the Phantom. I'm not... I don't know. I'd rather watch Cats than the Phantom. Really? Yeah. Because I think, I think their outfits are cute. I've seen both Cats and Phantom on Broadway. And I saw Cats on Broadway when I was five. I feel like that would be terrorizing. Yeah, and that's why I hate it. <laughs> that's why I don't... I don't want to think about it too much. That's why I remember... And um, we had, you know... Not to go into my my upbringing, but we had good seats, and so I was right up close to those freaking cats. Oh, it was no. horrifying. Yeah, it was horrifying. I only watched it on like a VHS tape in my like music appreciation class. That might have been the correct distance to see it from. Yeah, when you know you're not in the room with them, that's probably the better way to go. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it was such a phenomenon, like right before. I guess 2020 started that that's what makes me think that there's something connected like basically the last movie in theaters that I saw was cats and I saw it three times in theaters mm -hmm. um and so I feel like it's an apocalyptic film and really set the tone to uh 2020 2020 for me 
I mean, I think I blocked it out because when I the way I saw it in theaters, and I won't name names here, but I was with some friends who I was worried they were going to get the police called on them because they were howling oh, yeah. so much, and they were like heckling the screen and like running up and down the aisles, and I I got really I got really stoned beforehand. And they were making me so paranoid. And oh, uncom- yeah. So it was like... Where did you see these- it? I saw it at the West Side Pavilion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I really thought... And for some reason, that was like the only theater where the crowd was there to like take it seriously. Oh, so the, no. uh, the people were like not cool with my friends shouting. They were like hissing at us. <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean, I didn't mean it to be a cat thing, but it was, I guess, a cat thing. Yeah. Um, so that's my memory of it. And I don't, you know. I was with people at the Hollywood Cinerama Dome. So everyone was on drugs. Until you said anything, probably maybe because you had this association because you were on psychedelics. But I had no psychic connection in my mind between cats and the coronavirus. Well, yeah. and then, I mean, when that fourth wall was broken, everybody's psychedelic trip really kicked in. So it was a very, like, everyone is at the same level of crazy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Frazier. Frasier. Okay. Where do we leave off? Oh, I want to talk about this because we're still in the first scene. I want to talk about this. Frasier and Niles are talking. They're talking about cats. They're talking about Maris. In comes the rest of the crew from the radio station. Frasier's introducing <gasps> them to them. Oh, yeah. And okay, now we, get I... a, we get a great Niles moment here where <laughs> in comes uh, Frasier introduces this, uh, this guy as Teddy, one of our brilliant engineers. And it's a young black man, and Niles hits him up. He goes, "Teddy, my man!" Like he, he lays a little, lays a little jive on him. I guess yeah. I don't, you know. We also uh, meet one of my favorite characters, Chopper Dave. Chopper, Chopper Dave. Dave. <laughs> well, I wrote this in my notes. I thought that they kind of had to. They had a good couple minutes of like smart jokes, like jokes about society women and jokes about musical theater so now they had to come in and have some dumb jokes so they have chopper dave come in and the joke is that he's deaf so he's yelling Um, well because he's always talking over the blades and it i mean they work it in pretty well they work it in pretty funny well. well he's also like you know this whole episode is about keeping secrets so what's the funniest thing for when you're keeping secrets is a guy who shouts yeah Yeah. um so niles leaves and niles gets two incredible exit lines this episode this is the first one he says he has to go give a seminar on multiple personalities and the name tags take forever to write in incredible (laughs) incredible he he you know it's great so now this is when we really dive into what's going on in this episode the thing with niles and and maris this episode i don't think it really has a uh, i've talked about this i don't think it really has a b story or a c story but it does have a kind of thematic thing going on with niles which is like almost like a vestigial b story yeah i feel like it takes a while for frazier to actually have like the a and b proper stories and so now we only are getting like a uh, simmer of another plot in yeah. the background well at the time I think that was standard. I think the the audience wasn't conditioned to have so much story in every 22 minutes of television. But this one I appreciate because you know, kind of what I was rambling about earlier that the you know, the the connection between what's going on with Niles and Maris and what's going on with Niles and what's going on with Frasier in this is very subtle. 
is very subtle. I think I've discerned that hidden thread and I appreciate it. I savor it like the top note of a fine oaky it pinot. Is. It's very subtle. What? That Maris represents like no no fertility and Well, how is- this is related to what's going on with inside Fraser's mind in this episode. Because Fraser's caught in a similar class thing between his father and his boss. Okay. So the same way that Niles is torn between Maris and Daphne, Fraser is torn between his father and his boss. And the values that his father instills in him, loyalty to Bulldog. Oh, God. So many daddy issues. All right. Well, these, you know, (laughs) these are more than daddy issues. These are, you know, mommy, daddy issues. This is, I mean, this is why I want to talk about Fraser. Because Fraser is really at the beating heart of what America was in the 1990s. And... You know, okay. I think we can we can uh, get somewhere if we if we think about it. Moving along. <laughs> mm-hmm. So basically, are we at the apartment? Where are we at? Are well, we at the this station? is where we find out that there's a rumor oh, going around okay. the station. We're introduced to kind of the central conflicts of the episode. We're introduced to the fact that Roz has heard a rumor from Alan in accounting who heard it from Steven in promotions, who heard it from Cindy in retail sales, who heard it from Arlene, the manager's secretary. And there's a nice little move that they do with Arlene in this episode. And they've heard that the station is over budget. Someone is going to get fired. And the rumor is that it's the Bulldog, Bulldog Briscoe, the Gonzo sports show that comes on after Frazier. Um, And Frazier is very against Roz spreading these rumors. Yeah. And we are set up in this conflict between Roz and Frazier where Frazier represents order and Roz represents chaos and destruction. And however, I will think I I, I want to add something onto that is I feel like Frazier also is shamed for not knowing what the gossip is and it becomes like a cools versus not cools kind of situation. Yes, it becomes yeah, I see that. Because it's like a shame. I mean, because, I mean, clearly Frazier's going to slip up with this gossip later on in the right. episode. But here is the bull, like, here is the bullying from Roz to Frazier, but Frazier is obviously more important to the station than Roz. So is it really bullying? Can you bully up? This is, this is where Roz is at in the conflict because the thing that they talk about, the specific example that Roz gives of why workplace gossip is good is so that everyone knows each other's salaries if they're yeah. gossiping. And Frazier, who probably makes a lot more money than Roz, who makes a lot more money than some of these other people, doesn't want people to know that because that, you know, this is what I'm talking about. Because that, this that is just like plays a, into how, how unfair, uh, the I guess, the split is. It plays into that and it, you know, now I think it's more accepted that there's openness about salaries in the workplace. Even now, it's still very touchy. Oh, yeah. But in the 90s, it was really taboo to, for other people to know how much you made in the office. So for Roz, Roz's position is that this gossip is good. And Fraser's position is that it, you know, sows the seeds of chaos right. and dissolves this order. But Roz is pointing at, you know, really the flaw in the order yeah. that Frazier is invested in preserving. And Frazier is going to go on a journey where he, you know, 
He sees the flaws of the order that he's invested in preserving, but through kind of a narrative cheat, gets to preserve himself in the order without having to make any changes. And that is the 1990s. Well, that is the history of the 1990s. And I also feel that like for people in these lower paid positions, mm -hmm. knowing the gossip lets you kind of be ahead of like, it helps you pivot and move. I wrote it in my notes as anti-management praxis, liberatory anti-management praxis. Wow, I wish and I could toke on that one. Frazier <laughs> represents what you could call the nomos, the order of the earth, the power of tradition with the capital T. And Raz is the, anti uh, the antinomian force that dissolves all bonds of order, that looses chaos on the world. So Bulldog comes in. Which pill are you taking, brother? <laughs> See, here's the thing, is that, you know, there's no escape from the hell of the neoliberal world order that we live inside of. And that is what this episode is about. And this is, I haven't got to it, but Frazier is caught in a truly, you know, a, a truly hellish mindset. And it encapsulates, I think, kind of the, the mindset of the American normie in the 1990s. Well, also, I feel like there's no winning in this situation that Frazier gets oh, thrown into. Yeah, Frazier wins, but it's kind of like, well, we'll come to it in the end. What yeah, winds up happening... I'll, I'll bring it up yeah. when we get there. What winds up happening is that they find out that, or Frazier finds out Bulldog is the one who's going to be fired, or that's what they all think. And um, we see that Bulldog is a hot temper. Because he loses his, he has supersonics yeah. tickets. Yeah, he, loses he comes his into tickets. the cafe as everyone's talking about him, right? Yeah. Well, he comes in and he starts acting crazy, and then they say, "I heard it's him that's going to get the block." They wonder. We meet a new character, Father Matt. Who, <gasps> oh my God! I've, Father, I'm, what a waste! I haven't quite. <laughs> I have not quite integrated uh, Father Matt into my unified field theory of the end of history and Fraser, but. You know, we'll we'll come back to Father Matt as well. So we go to the station. It's the next title card of the episode. Did I do that? Oh. Caller one. It's Don, voice of none other than Jay Leno. Oh. And so Don's calling in. He's and this really doesn't have any. I don't think it does. Maybe as I'm saying it, it it'll occur to me, or it'll occur to you, or it'll occur to you, dear listener. But uh. Don is on the phone. He's having trouble with his diet. He says he, he he's on the phone. He calls and he says, I eat healthy. I work out. No matter what I do, I can't lose weight. Frazier is about to give him some. You can tell he's Sensitive he's advice. dialing up to give him some world class, life changing words of wisdom. And then you hear that you hear a drive through speaker in the background. You hear that Don is talking about how he can't lose weight and he's calling into Frazier's show from a drive-through fast food line. What a ballsy move. Little chuckle, little <laughs> chuckler there. And then this is also, I guess, from the earlier era of cell phones when you could really use this line. You know, Frazier says, are you, are you in the line at Burger King right now or whatever? And then Jay Leno, who really jays it up to the max in this, um, sometimes I can't tell who the callers are. I could tell that this was Jay. I couldn't tell it was Jay Leno. Uh, and he says, yeah, oh, I'm losing you. I'm going through a tunnel. I don't do a Jay Leno impression. If I did, 
I yeah. mean, I'd be dining out on it every night. But I'm uh, really glad you can't. It's a bad impression to have in your back pocket. Really, you wouldn't do. You wouldn't be able. You would. You don't wish you could do a good J. Is there a good J? Yeah, there's a great J. You're right, a dead J. Oh my god. <laughs> your team, your team, Coco, Conan, yeah. team Coco. Okay. Well, Conan's a big podcast guru now. Yeah, so Conan, we're... if you're listening, we're uh, we're with you. Yeah. Um. Although Conan, I will say, doesn't have any steam-powered cars. No cool cars. Jay Leno has a steam-powered car. I've never seen Conan O'Brien wearing jeans, and now you only see Jay Leno in all jeans. I feel like his body would look weird if he wore jeans. Yeah. Like he would have weird man camel toe. I love to see him in those old suits from when he was on in the 90s. You know, he would wear like a brown double-breasted suit, like a pinstripe brown double-breasted suit and like an orange shirt, like a burnt sienna shirt. Just horrible 90s clothes. terrible, terrible clothes. Anyway, what were we talking about? So, um... Basically, he's he finishes that call, and that's when we meet Father Mike. They go to commercial. Frazier goes out to the vending machines in the lobby or in the hallway, and we meet Father Mike. Father Mike is a Catholic priest. Big hottie. Yeah, seven feet tall. Um, <laughs> Chiseled features. Yeah. I mean, he looks more like a like an actor than he looks like a priest. Yeah. That's for sure. He doesn't carry the, the, realism re- the was, uh, repression of a... Uh, of a real father. Um, but he's nervous because he thinks he's the one that's going to yeah, be asked. He's going to get the chop because the ratings for the Father Mike spiritual hour are not uh, not what they used to be, apparently. So. You know why? Why? In the 90s, God is dead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. That was a time when America turned its back on God a thousand percent. Uh, and you think that we had the coronavirus because people didn't go see cats. I, you know, I'm not going to say why I think we got the coronavirus, it's but because, it's, it's uh, because now, we turned our backs a, on God. Now you're a, a Mormon. I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. No, I am I mean, this nation is like Odysseus. They cursed the gods and now it is tossed about on the sea. Um, anyway. <laughs> Father Mike says that he's really bummed. And they had the laugh track come in hot on Father Mike saying he was really bummed. Because I guess in the 90s, it was still a joke for a priest to to say, to like, say really bummed. Stuff. Are you on the part of TikTok that has like all of the, the hip priests? Okay, yeah, actually, um, I follow one of them. And he recently got a divorce. And so now that content is hot. Okay. Because it's just him he's like a thirsty moving. reverend. Yeah, yeah, well, he's like moving all of his stuff. And he's just like, by the grace of God, my marriage is now over. And Is he like. But he's a, like a, is a, he like a He's like a one. woke. A, he's like a woke reverend, though. He's like pro divorce. Uh, I don't. I mean, I because guess he would be if he's a, yeah. like a, a, a Christian priest, not like a Catholic one. Yeah. Well, that's the entire how the entire Episcopalian Church was founded, so that Henry VIII could get a divorce. So I mean, they must approve of it. But I feel I'm, like I don't want to dunk on this guy who's going through a hard time. But you reap what you sow, Reverend. You reap what you sow. Well, Your chickens guy... came home to roost, Mister Divorce. Well, the the thing with him is, is that he's also like uh, a vet too. So oh, well, talks, thank you for your service. So he talks about being traumatized by the military. And you did know, you just say? Are you saying this now just to make me feel bad after I went hard on him for the for the no, beheading I, of Anne Boleyn? I'm still going hard on this guy. Okay. Um, but you know, I watch it because of the cringe. I don't watch it because I'm invested in his life. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> 
Anyway, who should be overhearing this exchange between Father Mike and Fraser? Okay, wait. Can we talk about this though? Please. Okay, so Fraser, Fraser, I think like you can kind of see him get absorbed in like trying to make Father Mike feel okay. Oh, which by is- saying, "Oh, well, Bulldog is the one I've heard." Like, and you see him kind of get like kind of into the mm-hmm. fact that he is now passing along the gossip because yeah. he's never in the gossip. Well, not just that. Here's here's my read on this scene. Now that I've been simmer now that I've had it simmering on me, is that this is how, you know, psychiatry effectively has replaced the role of religion in our society. Whoa. And so now <laughs> this is like the psychiatrist that's the priest who's in distress and the psychiatrist has to offer comfort to the priest. Right. A complete inversion of how things are meant to be. Yeah. Uh, and because who's who's supposed to be listening to the problems behind a screen, you is know? Is the priest, absolutely. And so really the priest, I guess, is this kind is a of, Catholic Fraser podcast. <laughs> the priest is Fraser's kind of dark double. And that I guess he does have almost exactly the same type of show as Frasier, where people call and he gives them religious advice. People oh. call Frasier, he gives Do them. Do you psych- think that they they call in on his show? I hope. I don't know. We don't get to hear his show, so I feel we only like have mine. Like he's just like does like sermons or something. But it's much better if they. Do you think in. he's like? I mean, there used to be like Reverend Fulton J. Sheen, the you know ultra right-wing radio catholic radio broadcaster i don't quite think that's where father mike is on the spectrum but i do think that that we have father mike as because father mike never comes back either he's just in this episode so i think so all right i I don't know this is the first time we've seen chopper or whatever comes chopper dave comes back yeah yeah but anyway who should overhear the conversation between father mike and fraser oh oh, uh, lay it on okay so Basically, Fraser like goes back into the studio looking all giddy. He opens the door, and in the corner is where Bulldog is waiting. Oh, behind, Bulldog was creeping behind Absolutely. the door mm-hmm. like a creep, and it's like a very shocking moment in the episode where you see him Nosferatu out like a, I don't know, athletic. Yeah. Well, Bulldog <laughs> is really comes off as crazy in this episode, but also I think it's emblematic of the kind of backstabbing striver culture that thrives in the radio workplace of the sitcom. Yeah. So it's like Frasier, not, I don't want to give this like too much of a, a woke sounding analysis, but because Frasier is in this position of power and prestige, he's insulated from the, the kind of interpersonal violent competition of the people of the other people in the station. And I also think it's because he's fairly new. Yeah. At, well, that comes up as well. Um, that does come up as well. So he hasn't been playing in this toxic work environment for as long as the rest of them have. But we'll see by the end of the episode, even though Frazier will be exposed to all the consequences of spreading rumors and the, you know, the high price of taking responsibility for your actions and what, you know, what it means to be an old-fashioned virtuous person in this godless environment of, you know, crabs in a bucket. In the end, Frazier's claws come out. Frazier's fangs come out, and he is really sadistic and cruel at the end of this episode. Um uh- We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> so, yeah. Bulldog finds out he's the one who's going to get fired. And, and he, he goes loses off. it. He's <laughs> losing it in there. And he 
you know, so angry, says, I'm the best thing on this station. He's throwing microphones around the studio. And he says, they're not going to fire me because I'm going to quit first. I'm going to go into the boss's office and give him a piece of my mind. And Frazier tries to stop him. Yeah, he can't be stopped. From a, from a, like, you know, I guess a practical standpoint, it would be better for him to get fired because then he could collect unemployment. The Bulldog's got his pride, Molly. The Bulldog's got his pride. But, uh, but on his way out, this oh, is but, fun. But, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lay it on. Another another moment where the 90s uh, mm-hmm. really uh, is encapsulated because he's in such a erotic fervor. He's in a, he, He's uh, got a leaves. carpe diem mindset yeah, right now. He's he, uh, he's got he's got to get every last drop out of life. He loops back and uh lays one on Ross, gives her big smooch. Gives Ross a big smooch and you can see afterwards she doesn't like she it. She goes Bleh. <laughs> But uh, that doesn't come back either. So Niles I Niles kind of spoiler alert. Oh yeah, no spoilers for later in the series. Yeah. But not in the episode. <laughs> not in the episode. And, I mean, but this is like, yeah, Niles kind of commits a bit of a faux pas with uh, the Tony, the young black engineer, and Briscoe. Worse, you know, he yeah. has a full. I mean, that's like a. You could get fired. That's enough for to that. be fired yeah. just on its own. But anyway, he goes out of there and guns a blazing. Guns blazing. They go to like a. Fisheye lens shot of oh, the bulldog yeah. like screaming into the camera and like it, you can't even hear what he's saying. It's just like rage <laughs> music. Yeah, and bar- like barking like a bulldog. Roz comes into the studio where Frazier is. She flips out on Frazier for spreading the rumor that she told him, which I think is funny. Yeah. But then also... Because she's like, because she says something like, don't you know you're not supposed to say it in front of people? Yeah, the whole point is to say it behind their back. And this is a funny moment because... Frazier blames Roz for spreading the rumors, and Roz blames Frazier for being bad at spreading gossip, rumors. Yeah. And then it turns out that Bulldog was not going to be fired. We find out the truth too late. Yeah, because st- yeah. she's like, oh, no, the reason why, I mean, I guess earlier on, it was uh, suggested that he was going to have to talk to the station manager, mm-hmm. and that's why he had to get rid of his sports tickets, and so that's why everyone was really up in arms about him being potentially fired. Yeah. But it turns out that he they were going to take his show nationally syndicated, which would have been a, a, huge, a huge thing, deal. a big deal in 1993. Um, so it goes bad enough that the boss winds up taking a swing at Bulldog. Bulldog tries to hit him, or the boss tries to hit Bulldog because he said that the boss's wife came on to him at the Christmas party and she was like too drunk and ugly for him to want to be with. Uh, so Which like a double whammy kind of. Yeah, hot, hot stuff there. Goes pretty bad. The bulldog is out. Now we go to the next scene in the apartment. Title card, one dog night. And so Niles shows up at Fraser's place. This is what I was talking about earlier. He shows up with an obvious and flimsy pretext to see Daphne. One would say a plant. (laughs) You could say that it was a plant. Absolutely. He comes over with a dead plant. He says, I bought it for Maris, but it unaccountably turned against her because Maris being totally divorced from. She is a sucker of life. She's a succubus. Absolutely. And Daphne is an angel. One of those cool, like multiple eyed like not like a fire not wheel? like a TikTok angel, no, not like a TikTok a, angel. Those are, that's whatever. Those are all the TikTok memes. All the, are about. All the kids love the the uh, yeah. OG angels. I you know these Zoomers, they don't they don't know what's really good. Anyway, 
What, you like the, the hot lady angels? I like hot lady angels, and I'm not afraid to say it. That's like, what it means. I, it, this is called being trad, Molly. This I is like called being trad. Warrior, warrior angels. Uh, okay. Michael. Meh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. I'm all for fallen angels. Um, well, this, I mean, the themes of this episode are overtly satanic, and that's a different podcast, well, but yeah. Yeah, I, I learned some real fun Satan things at your party. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's some gossip. <laughs> yeah, that's some gossip for another time. That's some gossip for another time. But let's just say JPL, we're on to you. Yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> we got pretty freaking red pilled on that topic. For um, sure. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know where we're at with this. Right. So Marissa. Maris is killing Maris the plant. Maris is killing the plant. And Niles says, uh, I thought, oh, yeah. I thought Daphne was the perfect person to nurse it back to health with her soft, sensual hands and loving manner. So Daphne is like a Anglo-Saxon earth goddess giving life from, directly from the source of Gaia. Yeah. And Maris, the venal, you know, upper haute bourgeois is like totally dried up, infertile shrew. And this is like, this is where... This conflict really is, and and I think there's something really funny that happens in this scene, which is so. Not, uh, Niles finds out that Daphne's not there. Marty tells Niles that Daphne's not there, and so Niles is just gonna leave. Yeah, he's not gonna spend any time with his dad. Well, so and, yeah. and Martin kind of calls him out, and he's yeah. like, "Oh, you're just here to see Daphne." Yeah, you I know? mean, you know, they know what's going on. Right? You, what are they blind? The only people who don't know what's going on are, is Daphne, and she's a psychic, and she is psychic. Yeah. Well, she refused. She doesn't read Niles in this scene. Niles asks her to read him, and she doesn't do it. Good for her. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm glad that we yeah. have a little bit of psychic Daphne in this episode. Oh, it's it's crucial to the episode, and it's it shows a funny thing where the exact thing that causes Niles to be attracted to Daphne is what alienates him from his father. That he's attracted to Daphne for being earthy and for being like a, you know, an image of this authentic uh, and vibrant lower class in society. Mm -hmm. That's why he's in love with her compared to Mara's. Right. But his father embodies all those same qualities as well and it repels him from... It's because he doesn't have boobs. Yeah, right? I mean, that's part of it. He's about to leave. Marty, and then Daphne Daphne walks in right as he's about to leave, even though he just got called out on this shit. Yeah, Niles and Marty have this awful, awkward silence that goes on for a good long while. This is the longest scene in the episode, I think. Niles is out of there, but as he's out the door, Daphne comes in in a spectacular 90s outfit. She has like a red blazer on with huge shoulder pads. It's really great. Um, and Niall suddenly agrees to stay for dinner. Yes, of course. And he tries to show her the plant. And then Frazier comes in. And is this when he says that, like, Maris is distraught because uh, she got kicked out oh, of uh, cats? Don't, yeah, don't don't give it away yet. This is <laughs> Niall's other incredible line of the episode. This is... This I, can't, is, I can't say it? Uh, it? I mean, it doesn't come up yet. Okay. It fine. doesn't come... Some other stuff happens here, I believe. Um, Frazier comes back. And Marty asks him why Bulldog wasn't on the radio that day, because Bulldog has already resigned. Right. And he complains that he had to listen to Father Mike instead of 
bulldog, but that Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. Father Mike's version of the sports show was just Notre Dame's football, which I think is funny. I think it's funny. I'll take it. I'll take that as a little chuckler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, but Daphne uses her psychic powers to reveal that Frazier is, quote, shrouded in an aura of guilt. And so then this is what Niall says, Daphne, now do me. And she doesn't do it. Yeah. And Frazier goes and pours himself a stiff drink because he's had a rough one today. Yeah. He's torn up about having Bulldog quit his job because of him. So Frazier pours himself a stiff drink. And Daphne knows that Frazier thinks he's responsible for the thing Getting happening. him fired. And then this is when Niles gets the call. He takes out his enormous 90s brick phone. <laughs> it's, it's not a brick phone. It's a Motorola flip phone. My mom had the same one at that time. Uh, no big deal. Your mom's classy, though. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Uh, well, she was in the... She was in a Frasier world at that time. 100%. I would say she was in a Frasier world at that time. Anyway, they get the call... And this is when it comes up, if you want to lay this zinger out here. Because Maris has been kicked out of the Junior League production of Cats, and she is distraught. She needs Niles to come and attend to her. And the reason being is she keeps forgetting the lyrics to the song Memory. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. But then this is, so this is what I'm talking about now, where Frazier gets tuned in to this earthy quality of his father because Marty gives Frazier some real man advice. Some advice about how to be a man of honor in this chaotic world. Um, He hits him up. He says, you know, you have to go down to the station. You have to talk to the boss and get the bulldog his job back because you've ruined this guy's life by gossiping. Yeah. Um, And Frazier is too intimidated to talk to the boss. Because in this episode, we've already found out the boss just has Tried taken a swing, swing at somebody. Yeah. I mean, everybody in this workplace is... Terrified of this yeah, guy. Yeah, I mean, now I think we live in a much more sanitized time where all the people who would throw a punch or randomly kiss somebody have already been fired. Incredibly passive-aggressive yeah. and emotionally abusive in other ways. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I, I would argue more abusive yeah. because it's because it's covert. Yeah, you can't um, punch anybody and get it all out. You know, between men of honor, perhaps that's a good solution. I mean, a guy comes in, he says he won't sleep with your wife because she's too ugly. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Uh, I guess, like, you slap must, him with a glove. You must have satisfaction. Absolutely. You must have satisfaction. Anyway, Frazier is giving him, or uh, Marty's giving Here, Frazier. We're not listening. We really uh, support workplace and vi- violence. I and, uh, <laughs> wholeheartedly endorse interpersonal open violence. Absolutely. I think that, you know, the state's monopoly on violence must come to an end. <laughs> and these matters must be solved on, on their own. That, again, that's a different podcast, but th- that's kind of part of the theme of what's going on here, is that by gossiping, by committing the original sin of this episode, introduced in the Garden of Cafe Nervosa by the sinful woman <laughs> Raz, the knowledge of good and evil, is, the knowledge of the gossip. She is the snake in the garden, and she causes the entire social order of their workplace to fall into chaos. And so this is the- And I love her for it. <laughs> well, because, like you said, you support these fallen angels, you know, the Milton Satan. That's who she is in this episode. She, you know, she's doing it to free the workers 
from the constraints of that order. But we also see, and this is why this is such a rich and complex episode to me, we see the consequences of that order falling away. We yeah. see, you know, and we get the kind of a very neoliberal resolution to this, which we'll come to, but we get kind of all of the contradictions preserved in a way that saves only the worst parts of this order that doesn't save anything worthwhile about it but only saves kind of Fraser's position in it yeah because yeah. we're not getting true a true realignment of power well we're not yeah though you know I'm not some kind of Marxist but I mean in you know in Raz's mind you know the full completion of her vision is really that the workers would seize the means of the radio show I mean, I don't know if that's her ideal, but survival is definitely key within it. Frazier starts rationalizing why it's a good thing that Bulldog is getting fired. And he's saying like, oh, you know, this will help Bulldog change and grow as a person or whatever, because he's so afraid of facing his boss, as Martin calls him out for, he constructs this elaborate rationalization, which is, again, the difference between psychiatry and religion. And you know he's really wrapped up in guilt about it because he's not really even a fan of Bulldog that much as like a no. person or a broadcaster. And so, you know, he really got caught in some bad ethical waters well, there. Well, this is why Frazier is such a great protagonist for this series, is that he has this kernel of morality inside him. He has this seeking moral sense, you know, that tries to make sense of the chaos around him and try, and you know, what he reaches to in the same way that Niles reaches for Daphne, he reaches to his father to give him a sense of order in the kind of dissolving chaos of society in the 1990s, in the kind of so great social disorder yeah, of the time. So do you think that if Frazier did not have Martin there, he would just like keep quiet and kind of coast yeah Frazier without Martin is Niles that's how what, dare you that's what I would say I feel like Niles has had moments where he's ethically taken the higher road than Frazier before though well I, to use like a D&D &D comparison you know Niles is always lawful evil you know Niles is more yeah I don't know mm -hmm. I don't think Niles is evil right no, well, Niles is in the thrall of evil, is what I would say. I think that he's just lawful pretension. Yeah. I suppose you could say that. Because, like, there's times... Remember when that episode where he, he was trying to tell Fraser not to throw the brick? Oh, but then he does throw the brick. That's true. He, he lets, he, he lets he the chaos gets, gets enter chaos him. Enter. But then what does he do? What does he do? He pays, pays for, for it. it. So he is, he is lawful. Yeah. That's... But maybe he's, yeah, I don't think you can be chaotic lawful, but that's a lawfully chaotic moment. Well, then does that make him chaotic neutral? It makes him true, true neutral, true I neutral? guess, if you're right in the middle. Know. So now we're just not saying anything. Well, anyway, I'm, I'm just not going to throw Niles under the bus like that. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I feel like uh, Frazier would have just, you know, coasted if it wasn't for Martin. Yeah. Or Daphne. Well, I mean, he would have become a real husk of a man. You, you know, he would he would never have kind of recovered. You know, Niles recovers his soul through his love for Daphne, and Fraser recovers his soul through his relationship with his father, right? And through his relationship with Roz in the later seasons, his friendship with Roz. And, you know, whatever yeah, I feel like I mean, but I feel like Daphne starts the ball rolling because he would have not even said anything if Daphne didn't pick up on that aura of guilt. 
No, absolutely. Well, but Marty knew that the bulldog was off the air already. Yeah, yeah. but I feel like he would have yeah, danced uh, around Daphne, that. Daphne got it out there. But uh, Marty gives the kind of man talk that Frazier needs to hear in yeah. this moment. Where he's, you know, uh, says, you know, you don't have the guts to face this guy. And so Frazier tries to rationalize. Bulldog shows up on Frazier's doorstep utterly utterly dejected absolutely yeah at rock looking bottom. real bad looking like hell he's been walking around in the rain all night he's he's having a rough night yeah um uh that just kind of throws fraser into even more of a guilt spin but he's also trying to like have emotional distance from bulldog too he's trying to have emotional distance for bulldog bulldog comes in lays on his whole thing his girlfriend of eight years threw him out because he's not on the radio anymore. And he says, Bulldog, it's a funny line. Even when I was tomcatting around, I loved that woman. So it's oh like, God. yeah, she's not throwing him out because he's cheating and kissing Roz against her will and all this stuff. He, she's throwing him out because he's just not on the radio anymore. He's about to go sleep at the YMCA. He's trying to get a bunk at the Y. And as he's leaving, Marty and Daphne are looking at Frasier, you know, with disapprobation. And so Frazier tries to give Bulldog a 20. Yeah, like that'll be a, help That'll be enough. And then they kind of keep looking at him until he agrees to let Bulldog stay the night there. Yeah. Yeah. But what a horrible morning to wake up to. Bulldog on the couch and oh. distraught. <laughs> yeah, depressed bulldog. Well, it's it's that's all the incentive you need to go make things right because right. Frazier leaves that from that very scene. The timeline of this episode is kind of strange because this does seem like it's like almost nighttime yeah. when it's happening. But he directly leaves to the office to go set things right with Ned Miller, his terrifying boss. But I what I wanted to point out here is that you know Frazier so. To get Frazier to agree to go talk to the boss and let Bulldog stay, you know, Daphne and Martin give him the cold shoulder. They just look at him without saying anything. And this is played as a joke. Then, you know, he's looking at them and trying to rationalize or whatever. And then Eddie comes in, the dog, Eddie, comes in and looks at him just the way Daphne and Martin are looking at him. <laughs> and so it's like Frazier is, and people like Frazier, people in the class that Frazier occupies, they, oh, Bulldog also comes into the house, right? And he picks up a little tchotchke that Frazier has on his coffee table, a little African fertility statue. Mm. And so I think this is an important symbol as well because Frazier sees his social inferiors as third world fetish totems and he tolerates them the way that you tolerate a precocious pet. But... He also lives in fear of his social betters, who he's repulsed by in the form of Maris and her friends, right. but also totally intimidated by in the form of his boss. That he fears, you know, he doesn't just fear the social consequences of going against his boss, he fears literal physical violence from his boss. So Frazier is caught in a really hellish mind space. And again, that mind space is the 90s. That <laughs> <laughs> okay. that's... That place where Frazier lives, like caught between this desire to imitate people who terrify you and that you find repulsive and your kind of condescending paternal attitude 
to the authentic wisdom of people that you think are worse than you, like caught right in there. That's America in the 1990s. Well, I mean, I feel like that's just a common power struggle in general where like... This is possibly the story of the whole human species. Because it's like, do you... Do you uh, see where you have similarities to lower classes or do you bully in order to push yourself up? Yeah. Do you act like Raz where you bully not just to control the person the next rung above you who's really not that much superior to you in the hierarchy of the thing you're trying to keep a hold of them as a competitor from getting too far out ahead of you and you're trying to keep your head in the pack around everyone like bulldog hiding behind the door peeking his ear literally into yeah. the confessional as fraser and father mike are talking um you know that's that's fraser without martin that's Frazier. That's the kind of but the you know spirit is, of all? the neoliberal you world order. You know what it order. is, man? Yeah. When it comes down to it, fear is the mind killer. Absolutely. Fear is the mind killer. And all of the things that kind of came out of the 90s that we live with the consequences of now. Dune is one of them. I guess that's the I was going to say, <laughs> well, I was going to say the war on terror and surveillance capitalism. Oh, okay. Um, those things that we live with, they come from this mindset that Frazier is trapped in in this show. That this is the kind of antecedent of the horrors of the first Bush administration <laughs> and into the kind of, you know, the, and then... Are we safer because we're all watched? Well, it's like, not just that. It's like the problem that we experience is the problem of America. The problem that, that Frazier experiences in this episode is a problem that America experiences in the war on terror. Do we unleash a force that we know is destructive to the social order in order to, you know, preserve our position or make some make Father Mike feel better, offer consolation to someone? Do we do we do something that we know is wrong to make people feel better or you know, and then live through the consequences of it? And then, you know, do we do what we know is do right? Do we blow up our own towers? <laughs> I'm not going to get I don't think that it, it plays into really that kind of big Straussian question of like what are you willing to do to 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 create this order but I think the issue is you know the resolution of this episode is very much the Obama to the George W. Bush resolution oh, where yeah, it kind of sure. it puts a smiling face on this crumbling order uh, it puts a kind of emotional right. band-aid over this but also at the same time reveals the profound sadism that inhabits the heart of people like Fraser Crane right that is their their defining vice so even. we so Fraser goes to confront the boss right Fraser goes to confront the boss and remember in the beginning I said that Arlene the secretary is the one who started the rumor right Fraser comes in he says I tried to make an appointment with your secretary but I couldn't get through to her the boss has fired Arlene. It doesn't, oh. it's a very neat little thing. It's a very tightly woven tapestry in this episode. But Arlene, who as a woman unleashed this chaos into the world. Oh, come uh, on. Like Eve in the garden. Arlene has already just been pruned from the tree. We never hear but about it. You know her. what America runs on? Apple pie, truth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, well, it's almost like, what's Frazier's ex-wife's name? Lilith. 
Yeah. You know, that's Arlene. She's cut out of the story, even though she's the one who really put it in motion. Oh, gosh. Um, All right. So Frasier has a a -a tete-a-tete. With the boss. And the boss is incredible. They really make him out to be a a, perfect 90s dickhead boss. And he does, like, he has. He has some kind of goatee. He has Frasier hold a picture on the wall so that he can see how high it is, right? What a power and, move. And then, well, that's a power move. But then Frasier asks if he's at the right height, and the boss is like, I don't know. I can't see it through your big, stupid head. And so he makes Frasier literally kneel yeah. to hold the painting up on the wall. So, like, this is a humiliation ritual, absolute perfect tool of the people who rule over us, perfect encapsulation of the ruling yeah, ethos you hear of that, our time. Yeah, you preparators what? holding up paintings so that we could sneer at you. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that was a little gallery humor yeah. there for you? <laughs> I guess. Oh, do you, I mean, do you do that when people? No, I mean, I'm not in, I'm not in the power struggle. Do you crack struggle. the whip on those handlers? No, but there's a really funny joke that says, um, registrars do it. It's like registrars do it with preparators in the room or something like that. I don't know. It's a I forgot. hilarious. It's a really niche joke. Sorry, guys. Um, but yeah, like already kind of doing some pretty smart physical like humiliation. Absolutely. Well, tactics. I put this in my notes. This is management 101 that he's like really, you know, alpha dog mogging Frazier here. Yeah. And he also just to make him even seem less sympathetic, he reveals that he's he tape records everything in his office, like Richard Nixon, Ooh. which I think is really funny. Um, so Frazier takes responsibility for spreading the rumor, and the boss reels off all the horrible things that Bulldog said to him. He said, uh, my wife is a big, fat slut. And Frazier goes, your wife is not overweight. Um, nice one, Frazier. Thank you. <laughs> um, but it comes out, that, you know, Ned Miller is ultimately ruled by practical necessities more than sentiment. He needs Bulldog's ratings back. So he gets Frazier to, you know, tell Bulldog that he can come back as long as he apologizes. And the the boss's line is, if he'll kiss my ass, maybe we can work something out. I think is nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the power struggle. Well, and then here, Frazier learns the price for doing the right thing. He discovers the price of virtue, and the show reveals why you should not follow the virtuous path if you want to get ahead in the world of someone like Fraser Crane. Because now that Bulldog is back on the rotation, Fraser is fired. The station is still over budget. That part of the rumor was true. Fraser loses his job, like Christ, you could say, gives up his job to save Bulldog's job. And this is Frazier's second stiff drink of the episode. The boss offers him a drink from the bar. And then this is the kind of magic deus ex machina that I've been talking about the entire time. That as soon as the boss has fired Frazier and given Frazier a little patronizing speech about how he'll wind up back on his feet, exactly the same rationale that Frazier was giving himself about why it was okay for Bulldog to get fired. And something that he actually, I feel like, kind of started saying to Bulldog, too. Yeah, it was something that he started saying in that scene about how this, you know, this is going to be really good for you or whatever. Yeah. The boss lays it on him, and then the second he's done with that exchange, the boss gets a phone call. Actually, he's the one who's fired. So Frazier can keep his job, 
Bulldog can keep his job. TV writers call this putting it all back in the box, putting all your toys back in the box. Or, you know, we so, could like uh, make a, if we're going to stay in biblical land, we could say it's like Abraham, you know, killing a son. <laughs> I would not compare it to the sacrifice uh, you know, it's like of a, Isaac. Are you ready to kill your kid? Oh, well, you basically did it, so you don't have to. Oh, it is like that. Yes. The, well, there's the fake out where yeah, Abraham doesn't have out. to kill Isaac. Yeah. And Frazier doesn't have to lose his job to save Briscoe, to save Bulldog Briscoe. But if God wasn't such a pussy, he would have made him kill his kid. You know, now you're getting into kind of Freemason talk. <laughs> um, you know, now you're, you, you know, I don't want to get into any too, like, you're starting to sound like you work at JPL. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't have to go there. We don't have to get into any Royal Ark Mason stuff here on the show. Um, I also want to say for the record that it is the official position of the We're Not Listening podcast that the Sphinx, the Giza Sphinx, is at least 12,000 years old. And that any explanations to the contrary, I will not stand for them. I will not listen to them. You sh- I mean, I- is it our podcast or is it the Joe Rogan Experience podcast s- that you're saying? I that? stand with Rogan on the Sphinx question. Oh, okay, man. that's sorry. And now you're you're coming down with me. I don't even if you go on the you could try on this handbag. You could try to throw me under the bus, but the Illuminati will. They'll just you know they'll cut the brakes in your car just to not let any. So you won't take revenge if they get me. Oh no, yeah. I mean, I guess we we are both on the Rogan train, whether I like it or not. Too late. All right. <laughs> anyway, that little aside about the Sphinx, notwithstanding, this is this is when Frazier's cruelty shows. That now that his boss... Now that he's in power. Now that his boss has no power, he crushes him mercilessly. He rubs the boss's nose in all of the same stuff that the boss was saying to him. And so this is, you know, this is psychiatry versus Christianity. Frazier does not turn the other cheek in this moment. He lets the boss have it. And he... You know, his little diet, you know, his little speech to the boss culminates in him saying, in the theater, they say, every exit is but an entry to somewhere else. And like goes out on that note. And I'm so glad we are still making theater metaphors this late into the episode. Well, it's just that's what Frazier says. And then the boss, the boss has the last line of the episode. He says, God, I wish I fired you when I had the chance, which is the moral of the story. The moral of the story isn't, you know, listen to your father, listen to the wisdom of your father. Because if you really listen to what Martin said, you would get fired. You wouldn't yeah. be able to count on that, you know, the boss getting fired just in time. It's a if, bulldog yeah. eat bulldog world. It is a dog eat dog world. But this is what I'm talking about, that this, ep- you know, this episode creates a kind of sentimental mystification around what re- around the actual power dynamics that's wow. why it's what a, a power dynamic yeah that's mess. why i call it an obama resolution it's a sentimental mystification i didn't see any drones <laughs> that's the point of a drone is oh, you don't you have take to take responsibility see it. you don't have, you have to, to take it. responsibility but uh. in the you know it's like you know we said i wish i fired you when you had the chance i wish i you know blew up uh, that toyota land cruiser in the middle of the desert when i had the chance <laughs> And then roll <laughs> roll credits over Bulldog Briscoe 
Earlier in the episode, he said that he would. He promised that if the Seahawks beat Buffalo, he would do the episode hanging from his ankles. So in an incredible bit of physical comedy, a little palate cleanser, you just see him hanging upside down doing his episode. He's drinking coffee upside down, getting it in yeah. his eyes. I it, will say... He looks like he's doing a great episode, honestly. Well, yeah. I, I wanted to mention this um, during his like flip out, I guess. Mm-hmm. But... Um, the actor playing Bulldog has excellent physical comedy. It's yeah. so good. Well, he looks good in this episode. He looks trim in this episode. I think he was probably maybe slumming down for another role. We're bulking up maybe. I don't know. He's, he looked cut in this episode, though. Yeah. Yeah. Looked good. All right. So Cafe's Latte. I would let him. Cafe you know, Latte score. Well, I would, let, I, would let, I would let him kiss me. I don't know. You would <laughs> fiery passion exit. That's I, I good. Would, I would I would go for it. That's very uh, Camille Paglia. But you know what? Probably more Father Mike because I like yeah, that it's forbidden. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, I was on that Fleabag season two tip. How many cafe lattes out of ten do you give this episode? Cafe latte score time. I give it eight. Eight cafe lattes. I think I'm right there with you. I liked I it. I call this an eight eight latte episode. It wasn't like, it wasn't one of my favorites. But I thought it moved pretty quickly. I thought it was had some chucklers. Absolutely. Um, I think there's a lot of really fun characters in it. It's really nice to see the expanded universe of, of the, You meet the people from the show. You find out about see? Maris's life. Yeah. Um, you, it really threw you into an ethical like well, wormhole of ideology. It, honestly, there's a lot of ideological stuff going on in it. There's a lot of kind of primal relationship stuff going on in it. And it's very tightly woven. It's not as tightly plotted as a sitcom from today would be, where it would have, you know, three stories crammed into that 22 minutes. It's not like an episode of Community, for example. But, but that's it is, not what I want. No, it's it's true to its time. And it's not just true to its time, intentionally or not, it's very fully of its time. And I think there's so many episodes of Frasier that kind of reveal this that... You know that's well, that's and, why I want to talk about this and, show. And I would say, like in terms of like to crit- cr- to critique current sitcoms, I kind of feel like having all of these narratives being held up at the same time can sometimes distract from a genuine feel to a show. Like yeah. sometimes they're trying to do too much that you don't actually get to enjoy anything. Well, now you have the stance of. You know, now the sentimental mystifications that have carried us through the 90s and the 2000s have failed. So yeah. now you have uh, the poisonous irony. Yeah. Up the wazoo. You, you, well, even to, to make that comparison point to community, where community, the whole joke is we're in on all the jokes. Yes. Uh, and so you don't have a sentimental mystification. You have a kind of disassociation out of body experience to distract you from the horrors of the world that you live in well and it also becomes like a weird like uh, pageant or whatever to try to find all of the inside jokes it becomes like a weird creepy thing yeah well because that's the when when sentiment is exhausted when you know the concept of meaning or the concept of interpersonal relationships that Frasier operates under, when that's no longer viable, 
that's all that's left. All that's left is just the show, just the sur like just the surface. And a community does quite a bit with this. I like that show quite a bit. But I, I, you I know, like the, the, re the real difference is quite a bit. But yeah. think about how that relationship arc between the blonde guy, blonde lady, and bald and guy. Jeff Wing oh, Alcon balding guy. <laughs> oh well, he's got he's got uh, hair implants. He's got fake oh, hair. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, between those two, like, there's. You're just much more interested in like all the crazy comedy yeah. dynamics. But that you their don't... relationship is very similar to Roz and Frazier's in that they never, they hook up, but they never have real romance. Well, but I'm saying that like the key relationship in Frasier is Niles and Daphne. Yeah, and that's the key romantic relationship. That I yeah. really get invested in absolutely and the primary relationship is th that relationship on community well and i always like really jeff care. with annie because i think uh allison brie is so smoking well it's i like she that looks like the like... at&t lady <laughs> yeah and she's a cal arts alum I'm, i mean I yeah so. she's a bad actress <laughs> okay do we have anything in the advice mailbag do we get any advice questions here I don't let's take, think let's take so, a look but we had a real this was a real conceptual journey i feel like we've really given the audience a lot of things to think about um okay we can i, I can ask you a question though all right lay, lay, I'll, i guess we can give each other some advice then sure well i was gonna say have you ever been wrapped up in an ethical quandary around gossip like, have you ever been in a situation similar to this where you know something? And well, you on last week's episode of the podcast, I revealed that a guy I know from summer camp has Peyronie's disease in his penis. Yeah. So. And then I just revealed that I know someone's a Satanist, so we're both really bad at gossip. <laughs> I guess so. Well, <laughs> all right then. Until next time. This These is... <laughs> two loose lips. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why no one wants to trust us with their secrets, Molly. <laughs> yeah. Why doesn't anyone want any advice? <laughs> all right, folks. Until, yeah, we're back uh, on though. Come, come with us with your your questions and quandaries. Yeah, follow us on Instagram at Not Listening Podcast. That's the best way to get in touch with us. Listen to us wherever podcasts are heard. All right, it's done. We're, we're over. Goodbye.